Welcome to the Dying Task Podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and this is a good one today. I'm excited to have the author Elizabeth Gilbert on the show today. Liz, as she likes to be called, is the author of seven books, fiction and nonfiction, but you likely know her for one book, and that book is Eat, Pray, Love. It came out back in 2006. I couldn't believe it had been that long. The memoir tells the story of Liz traveling the world alone after a divorce, and it became an international bestseller. It has sold more than 13 million copies. It became an anthem for a lot of women looking at their own lives and saying, is this it? I need to go. I need to get out of here. Julia Roberts starred in the 2010 movie version of the book. Time Magazine named Liz one of the 100 most influential people in the world. And she followed Eat, Pray, Love with a book called Committed, which was a humorous but very blunt look at her second marriage to the man she actually met at the end of Eat, Pray, Love. And then she's also written fiction. She has a book called City of Girls. It's a book about the New York theater world in the 1940s. She recently wrote a book about creativity and living a creative life. The book is called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. And her thoughts on creativity and a creative life, where creativity comes from, how to nurture it, re-spark it, really got me thinking about how we're all looking at our lives here, you know, three years since the pandemic started. Um, a lot of people are looking at the way they do things and trying to maybe challenge themselves to live a little bit differently so they can feel a little bit differently. I had an opportunity to catch up with Liz ahead of her appearance at the Sacramento Speakers Series, and she is, all these years later, a very prolific speaker. And she speaks about Eat, Pray, Love a lot and that creative life. Um, but she speaks to that enduring connection that so many people, particularly women, have had with the experience that she detailed with Eat, Pray, Love, because it really became, as she describes it, a permission slip for a generation of women. On this time to ask, we'll talk about what the reaction from her readers is like now, more than 15 years after the release of Eat, Pray, Love. We'll talk about what it's like to connect with all of these people. Is there a burden? Does she resent it? I'll tell you right now, she doesn't. She actually loves and appreciates it, which I love and appreciate about her. Um, and we'll talk about that idea of living a creative life and how she finds that freedom in the brain to just think and dream and then ultimately do and how we can all add a little bit of that into our own lives as well. I love this conversation. Liz is exactly what I wanted her to be like, <laughs> which I know is a weird thing to say about a guest. But sometimes when you have, especially a big name on a show, you kind of wonder, are they going to be what you think they're going to be like? Um, exceeded all expectations. And I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to tell how much I genuinely enjoyed our conversation. Super, super fun. Liz Gilbert is my guest this week on Dying to Ask. Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. Soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Liz Gilbert, welcome to the Dying to Ask podcast. It's great to have you on. It's so nice to be here, Deirdre. Thank you. 
I appreciate it. We should probably um, start by explaining you've been getting over bronchitis. So the, the husky Kathleen Turner vibe is, is coming from that. Does it sound Kathleen Turner to you? Cause it's super, good. super sexy. I think oh, it's really okay. working for you. It. I'll keep it. Yeah. I'm getting over bronchitis <laughs> and some laryngitis, but um, believe it or not, I sound way better than I did a few days ago. So yeah, um, no, I'm I, just happy I believe to be it. Here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you as well. You know, I went down a, a deep rabbit hole as I was prepping for this interview because every every article brought me to something more interesting. And um, I am not going to actually start with Eat, Pray, Love. I'm going to talk to you about something that I found out you were responsible for that I love. I found out that you wrote the article that inspired Coyote Ugly. True <laughs> that is, story. That is one of those things that when I'm flipping channels, if I see it, I'm not leaving for the next hour. Okay, what is the backstory on that? So I worked at the original Coyote Ugly um, when I was 23 years old um, in New York City when I was an aspiring writer. I actually worked there for a year and a half, almost two years, so 2022 to 24, um, and it was a dive, and I loved it. It was actually some some of the happiest times of my entire life, and then years later, um, and it wasn't quite like the movie. It was a lot grungier. It was a real hole in the wall. We weren't as beautiful as the actresses in the movie. We danced on the bar, but not in a choreographed way. But it was a good time bar. Um, I mean, it was it was a place where people came to, to let it out. And um, and it was really fun. And then years later, I was working at GQ and I wrote an article about my years there. And to my shock, I mean, it still shocks me 20 years later, but Disney bought the movie rights. And I remember being baffled. I was like, wait a minute, Disney, Disney bought that? going to make, yeah, Disney made that movie. Wow. And they made that movie because they wanted to make a movie like Footloose that a bunch of 13, 14 year old girls would really love. And I couldn't figure out the algorithm on it. I'm like, that was the most disgusting, skanky, like <laughs> alcoholic trash right. dive bar in the Lower East Side. How are you going to make this into something for tweens? And um, they did. And it worked. Oh, yeah. And um, and it became legend. And and yeah, that was Coyote Edwards. And then, and then so Coyote funny. Ugly itself, the bar became a chain and it's all over the world. I was in Bangkok a couple of years ago and I saw one and I was like, what have I brought? There's a Coyote Ugly in Bangkok. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, people think that Eat, Pray, Love is your legacy, but really, I mean, bringing Coyote Ugly global is probably just up there too. <laughs> I think so. I think that that's what I like my obituary to lead with. <laughs> I... I kind of did a little bit of a double take when I realized how many years ago it was that Eat, Pray, Love came out and became the phenomenon that it was. I mean, it's more than 15 years now. It's 2006 that it came out. Yeah. 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 Does, it, does it feel like that to you? Because to me, like, and maybe this is just the age where we are. I was like, no, it's not that long. That's like just yesterday. It's it's not. Yeah, it was 20 years ago that I, that I almost 20 years ago that I left for that journey. Um, yeah, it's it's... I don't think it's just you. I think that we are all in a place in time and history right now where all of us, not to, not to sound too much like, you know, a TikTok meme, but what literally even is time? Like, I feel I like, I, I don't, I mean, it was three years ago that the pandemic lockdown started. <clears throat> I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I don't think it's just because I'm getting older that time moves, feels like it's moving faster. I think that the world itself has become a sort of chaotic pinball machine and it's kind of hard to time to move the way that I think it, it used to. So it's not just you, um, okay, but, but it is astonishing that it's been that long and um, and that it has remained 
um, a cultural touchstone um, is, is amazing to me and that it still remains a permission slip for women to change their lives, to travel. My, my, the thing I'm the most proud of about it is that we didn't used to have a term in our culture for that thing where a woman gets divorced or quits her job or blows up her life or drops out and travels by herself in order to find herself and have her own spiritual, cultural, and emotional transformative experiences. We didn't have a term for that. Now there's a term for it. It's called doing and eat, pray, love. And yeah. um, I was coming through customs the other day. I was in Costa Rica a couple months ago. And when I came through customs um, back into the States, the customs officer, who is a, um, a woman, asked me, you know, what were you traveling for? What's your line of work? Um, and I said, I'm a writer. And she asked me, yeah, what do you write? And I told her I wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she said, every day, every day, I see women coming through. And I asked them what the purpose of their trip was, of their travel. And they say they were doing Eat, Pray, Love. That means the world to me because oh. I, I don't think that used to be a thing. Um, I mean, I think women traveled, but I don't think they had, you don't think they had a term for it. Right. And I well, I think the book was also, the book was also kind of like a blueprint because I think some people also didn't know how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. that, that you could do it, but like, how might one do it and what might it look like? Yeah. Um, boy, I'll tell you what I wish I had had then is Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> As a traveler, as a traveler, right. it's so easy now. It's so easy. I remember how it took me like six weeks to figure out 20 years ago how to get an apartment in Rome. You know, yeah. like I could do that in three clicks of the keyboard now, you know? So certainly there are some things that have made it a lot easier to travel. Except um, but... that the ease takes away some of the experience, I think. Personally. Yeah, for sure. But also I like ease. <laughs> it's the same with GPS. I'm like, I'm like, Oh yeah, GPS made made people dumb so that they can't read maps anymore. I could never read a map. I could never right. read a map. So GPS made my life better. Like so, well, these, these are certain things that made that definitely improved my life. I love that something that you did, you know, almost twenty years ago. That even though it's always right after your name when you're introduced, and you've done many many other things, um, I love that you embrace it. And, and seem to really still love it because sometimes I'll interview somebody who is for whatever reason, known for one thing. I'll give you an example. It's a random example. Rick Springfield, Jesse's girl. I was interviewing him once and I was instructed. Also general hospital. And general Sorry. hospital. I was instructed <laughs> by the PR person to not ask him about Jesse's girl. I'm like, he's Crazy. playing this, he's playing the state fair and he's going to play Jesse's girl I, for me to not ask him a question about the enduring legacy of that song is ridiculous. And he hung up on me. <laughs> on air. Wow. I'm so glad you dug in. You know, I know, I know, like, but like you made, he couldn't oh, stand it. You made a thing that people love, you know, like, um, and, and I, I remember doing an interview one time where, where somebody said to me, like, you know, you pray love. It's kind of a cliche don't you kind of feel like you're sort of like a certain kind of white lady, you know, like you're a certain kind of white lady who's like, I'm going to do yoga and I'm going to travel. And, and I was like, well, I may well be, you know, I'm not going to dispute that, but I don't think that the most interesting thing about Eat, Pray, Love is who wrote it. I think the most interesting thing about Eat, Pray, Love is who read it and who read it was at the most recent count, almost 13 million women in that most recent count what, 35, 40 languages all over the world. Like 
I've gotten letters from women in Japan who are like, you have no idea how oppressive this culture is and how hard I've been trying to fit myself into it. And I read your book and I, I'm quitting this culture. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, like, like, it, like that to me, there's no reason I wouldn't want to celebrate and remember that. Um, like a, a friend of mine calls it, pray love the book that launched a thousand divorces, which makes me laugh really hard. But I, I celebrate that too. You know, it's like, great. If that wasn't working for you, I'm so glad you were able to leave. So I, I, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll be talking about it till the end of my day. You do a lot of public speaking. Um, it, it, what, when you, when you go out and you give a, a speech these days, do you tend to give the same speech? Cause, because that's what people want to talk about. What, what is the nature of what you, you choose to talk about these days? I mostly talk about um, what I call creative living, um, which is not exactly the same thing as creativity. So my definition of creativity is that creativity is a collaboration between a human being and the mysteries of inspiration, um, which is kind of shamanic. And that is how I experience creativity that, yeah. and I think we all know what this feeling is that an idea comes to you, right? Not so much from you, but to you. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of divine invitation um, that it, it wants to play with you, wants to engage with you. You kind of want to play with it. You kind of want to engage with it. You're instantly overwhelmed by fear. What if I can't do it? What if I blah, blah, blah. I don't have the right training. I don't have the right education. This isn't for me, you know, but it's this dance between inspiration and, and, and on one side and fear on the other. Um, and I love talking about it because I'm endlessly fascinated by how creativity runs through us. But creative living is a more broad definition. And my definition of creative living is any life where you routinely make your decisions based on curiosity rather than fear. Routinely, not just once, not just twice, not just at three or four major event points in your life, but routinely when you're at that crossroads, which we're at every day, because it turns out that our two brain hemispheres actually are separated between curiosity and fear um, and, and constantly making decisions based on curiosity ends up giving you a creative life, which isn't so much about what you create, you know, or a legacy that you leave, or if you produce a novel, or if you write a symphony, it's more about a style of living, you know, um, where in the end, your life itself becomes the work of art. Um, because it won't quite look like anybody else's because you constantly followed your create your curiosity instead of your fear. And that's what I love talking about. Um, and I love so talking about the obstacles to that and the joys of that. One, I can imagine one of the obstacles that maybe a lot of people would say is that, you know, life comes with a lot of responsibilities for a lot of us. They, people have jobs, they have kids, they have spouses, they have parents to take care of. What are maybe some some things to think about when it comes to living that curious life, despite all the the boundaries that are are in your yeah. life that you have to do? I mean, like, no, there's some stuff are, you just have to do. There are some things you have to do, and obligation weighs heavy upon us all in various different ways. I would ask you though to keep track of how much time you spend on social media. Mm. Um, and how much time you spend on your phone and how much time you spend watching programming um, and content, how much time you spend as a consumer of content. Um, it's shocking to me when I see um, those numbers in my own life. Um, I had a really come to Jesus moment when I was a, a young writer speaking to um, 
an artist who I really admired. And I was complaining to her that I didn't have any time. I had three jobs at the time um, that I didn't have any time to create. And she said, what's your favorite TV show? And this is back in the 90s. And I remember saying like, Seinfeld. And she's like, wow, it must be amazing to have so much free time that you have a favorite TV show. She said, I don't have one because I make art, <laughs> you know? She was like, I know it was really shaming because I had a whole bunch of lists. It's very shaming. You know, and but this, it was was like, before this, before, before, this was before social media, before, before social media, but now it's even worse, you know, it's like, yeah. so, so yeah, we, we have our families and we have our jobs, but if you can get ferociously honest about where your actual time is going, um, I think you will find that there are some things that you could replace, um, and, and let go of, which oftentimes are the things that we use to numb ourselves from the exhaustion <clears throat> of the obligations. But that puts you in that sort of death spiral of obligation, obligation, followed by numbing behavior, numbing behavior, numbing behavior, followed by obligation, followed by numbing behavior. And that becomes a life that, that all you want to escape from. Um, and creativity actually can break that cycle. And it can create, for even if it's an hour, a life that you might not want to run away from. I think yeah. the true definition of self-care is not so much like getting manicures and pedicures well that's great if you can if you can do those things for yourself I think the definition of self-care is creating and it is creative act creating a life that you don't want to that you won't need to want to run away from mm -hmm. you know like I, I went on April I had to run away from the life that I had created and the life that I had created was exactly perfect template of what culture told me to do um I went and did all of those things and and that life brought me as close to suicide as I've ever come in my life. Um, and so I needed to run away from that life. And now my, my whole existence is about creating a life that I won't need to run away from screaming. <laughs> as if I could even scream right now with this large audience, but you know no. what I mean? Like it's, I do you know, actually, that's, that's it. And that's, a, that, that is an actual sort of a sacred mission. And it's not an easy mission. It means that you often have to push very, very, very hard against mostly cultural and familial pressure that tells you that in order to be a, and I'm going to say this mostly to women, in order to be a good woman, you must be this, you must take this form in order to have the approval of culture and family, which we live and die for. Mm -hmm. you, your life must take this form. And, and in order to, for me to create a life that I don't want to run away from screaming, I have to break that form. And that means I have to disappoint and anger people constantly. Um, and it's not easy, but it's a lot easier than what I used to do, which was, um, okay, if you say this is what I'm supposed to be, all right, I'll just take a bunch of Xanax and try to be that, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I can do it if I'm heavily medicated enough, I can do it. <laughs> I think also though, that what you're talking about always starts from, um, a few quiet moments and silencing yourself and being still for a lot of us, especially if you're type A and you have all those obligations, responsibilities that we talked about sitting still and doing nothing for two or three minutes is terrifying to a lot of people. It's really oh, yeah. hard. I mean, I, I wrote about this in the pray love for me learning how to meditate. I mean, it was it was nightmarish, you know, like having to sit for 30 minutes without doing anything. 
made me want to jump out a window. Like it, I couldn't get out of my skin fast <clears throat> enough. I couldn't bear my own company. And, and what instantly happened in that silence was that I was faced with all of my shame and all of my pain. My friend Martha Beck says that she doesn't think, it took me years to learn how to meditate. Now I meditate very comfortably, but she said, why did it take so long? And she said, I don't think anybody can meditate if they're lying to themselves about anything in their life. And I, there were so many things in my life that I was lying to myself about. No shame, but just mm-hmm. no shame on that younger version of myself. Now I was doing the very, very best I could to survive. But there were some truths that I was not willing to tell yet. And I think that made it impossible for me to be in the stillness because they just echoed in me. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 hard. Man, medit- meditation is, I, I love how it, it gets sold as like a, you know, as like a self-help thing or like a wellness thing. When in fact, um, Pema Chodron, the great meditation teacher says, people think that that meditating is just about quieting your mind. It's like they see their mind as this lake covered with, with frothy white waves and and then they're gonna meditate and then that, those waves are just gonna go still and it's gonna be this beautiful still lake. And she said, that's true. But then what happens is <laughs> you can see now down what's at the bottom of the lake. You couldn't see it before. And now you can see all the dead bodies and the toxic waste and, and the shame and the pain and the guilt and the loss and the grief and everything that you're like, no, bring back the frothy waves. You know, like I actually right. don't want to look at that because it's too painful. So it's a path for the brave um, and, and it should be done in, a, in, a, in, a, in some sort of a supportive way. Um, it's not... Being alone with yourself is, is too hard to do alone. You should do it with why in, in the East, they have saunas, they have meditation communities. It's too, yeah. too difficult to do by yourself. I, I do. I have actually bought the meditation. I do the guided meditation on the apps. And so what I've done is I'm a runner. So I tie it in with running. So I'll stop alongside the river and I'll do the 10 minute guided meditation because that makes me actually do it. And I had a woman come up to me last week because I was sitting still for 10 minutes she thought something was wrong. She tapped me on the shoulder and I was really into it. I was having such a great moment. I'm like, God, I'm a great meditator. And she, she was concerned that there was something wrong with me because I sat still for 10 minutes. Yeah, and I thought, well, isn't that an interesting culture, lesson it? too? It is. Yeah. I know. So, I mean, I'm glad she thought I, you know, she saved me from jumping in the river or something, but I was actually just hitting my Zen. <laughs> so. Well, I actually like what you've shared about how first you move right? Like you've got to get some of that restless energy out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a really, really smart tip to, to go running or walking and then meditate. It's about a mile in where I like to stop. And it, it, you're right. It gets rid of that kind of toxic, that, that angst. And then I relax enough to actually kind of embrace and enjoy it. And, and I do get a lot out of it. And that for me is what gets my brain going and gets creative again. So that's that's how I, well, you know, and everybody's different. You're going to find it in different ways, but I do think you, you're really onto something that you got to figure out, like what feeds me. It takes a really long time to learn how mm-hmm. to operate a human life. It takes a long time. They drop your soul into this body, into this time and earth space, into this family, into this culture. And then you got your whole life to figure out how to run one of these things. And it's it's not easy. We're complicated. Um, well, as we start to wrap up, because I do want to be respectful of your voice, what are you working on these days? And 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 what is what is fun for you these days and bringing you joy? The most fun thing in my life, it's karaoke. I have these friends um, where I live and we do Sunday afternoon karaoke brunch. And, um, and it's so much fun. And we've been doing it for years. 
and we were supposed to do it this week, but we couldn't, which is sad because I can't. Please tell me your song is Rick Springfield. That would bring this full um, circle for me. Oh, well, that's an, actually, that's an excellent choice. Um, I've tried it. It's not as easy a song to sing as you think. Um, but my go-to song for like the beginning of the day is is usually um, Take Me Home Country Roads. It's like, of course, yeah. It's sing along. Uh-huh. And then I, um, you know, I, I like to do a strong finish on um, on Total Eclipse of the Heart. But, um, nice. Because, yeah, but that's that's got to be toward the end, you know? You gotta yeah, get, you got to warm up to that. side. Um, just word to the wise, don't ever sing Bohemian Rhapsody at karaoke. No. <laughs> Everyone thinks they no. can sing it and nobody, no. nobody really can. can. And it's a million years long. Um, yes. So that's for fun. And um, professionally, I just finished a novel that I've been working on um, since the beginning of the pandemic that's set in Siberia in the 1970s. And um, I can't say anything more about it yet, but it's done. I turned it in. It's um It'll be out in about a year, and I'm really excited about that. I love that you embrace you do fiction as much as the nonfiction. I, I find that so um, interesting, and also it's kind of unusual too, isn't it? I think it's yeah, but I sort of see it as the same thing. Um, I think it's I it's not like I always say it's not like I write fiction and I'm a dentist, you know? Um, <laughs> like I write fiction and True. I write nonfiction. Yeah, they're both, it's both writing and it's both storytelling and there's a level at which they're very similar. Um, but I do, I just, I have to admit that I prefer writing fiction because it's it's so incredibly fun to be able to make up worlds. Um, yeah. So yeah, I love it. Liz, it's been a, just a delight. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and I'd love for you to let people know, I know you have an amazing book club that you head up and if you oh, let people yeah. know how they can connect with you on that. And the best ways to reach out to you and follow you on that time-consuming, soul-draining social media. I know, which I, I I hate to encourage you to get back on it, but I know. Um, but I I will say this: I think pretty much the only thing I do anymore on Instagram is um, this book club uh, that I founded a couple of years ago called the Onward Book Club. O N W A R D, and it's a book club that celebrates and spotlights and uplifts um, books written by Black women who are egregiously underpaid and un- underrepresented in the publishing world and who have just blessed the world with with extraordinary talent and great stories and so um i uh, every uh, every month or two months i choose another book um i interview the author and um you can go to i have a website that's devoted completely to this it's called the onward book club um you can just google onward book club you'll, it'll take you to it and then you can go to my Instagram, which is Elizabeth Gilbert writer with a bunch of underscores. And I have the lamest Instagram handle in the entire, it's 29. <laughs> it's like, it's like a high security password. It's like 29 letters right. long, but anyway. Um, and I actually, I have um, an interview um, coming up on Monday with a, a really amazing novelist um, about a book called On the Rooftop that's um, set in San Francisco in the jazz age about a very powerful but sort of pushy stage mother trying to get her three daughters famous. And um, it's, it's great. So anyway, um, join us. The, the way to join it is to read the books and to encourage, if you've got existing book clubs, to encourage your book clubs to um, treat, treat themselves, not as a duty, but as a, as a joy to treat themselves by these extraordinary works um, written by Black women. And I've got a whole list of them on my website. So that's great. Check it out. And you can see previous conversations there too. Yeah, they're all there. And the conversations are so fun and and wonderful. So it's it's a delightful rabbit hole to go down. (laughs) So I went down that one as well. Yeah. It's good. And 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 I always like to say there's diversity within diversity as well, because 
black women don't only write about race, they also write like mm -hmm. mystery novels and thrillers and cookbooks and children's books and science fiction. And, you know, so I try to keep as much diversity um, within that diversity as we can. Liz, thank you so much. My joy. It was so fun talking to you and all blessings on your future endeavors. And uh, maybe I'll see you in Sacramento. Sounds great. Again, if you want to go check out the book club, it's onwardbookclub.com. This week in what I'm listening to, I'm going to suggest you listen to more Liz Gilbert because I think a deep dive on Liz is probably good for all of us. And specifically, I'm going to recommend an episode of We Can Do Hard Things with Glennon Doyle. This episode was episode 94 from May 9th of 2022. And it's an episode that they each did about how they chose to implode their lives with regards to their partners and who they loved and who they wanted to be with. And the conversation is just amazing. So go check that out. Again, it's We Can Do Hard Things with Glenn and Doyle. And that episode came out back in May of 2022. That's a good one that I think you'll enjoy listening to. Now, I know we talked about getting off of social media to free up your brain. That said, if you want to reach out to me on Instagram, you can find me at run, read, sip, which as I say it out loud, sounds a lot like eat, pray, love, but you know, we digress. <laughs> you can reach out to me and send me a message there. Would love to hear from you. And if you have a moment to leave a rating or review, if this episode really spoke to you in some, whatever way, I would love if you could take a screen grab of the episode, put it up on your Instagram stories or share it on your favorite social media with a link and let people know about it. Or just text it to somebody. The easiest way to do that, most of you, like 80% of you are listening on Apple Podcasts. So I'm going to give you the Apple shortcut. If you look at the episode right now on your phone, there are three dots in a circle on the top right-hand corner. Touch that and it'll offer up an opportunity to share it. You can email it, you can text it, and you can send it straight to a friend and say, you've got to hear this one. Liz Gilbert is amazing and I'm not sure how Fitz got her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I could tell you the backstory, but it's it, it doesn't even matter at this point. So thanks again for everybody who shares the show. It's the uh, quickest way the podcast grow is word of mouth. It's like the, the town square, so to speak. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Dying Task Podcast.